Amen. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Lord bless you as you're seated tonight. I'm going to continue preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. Tonight, we're going to continue to talk about relationships. If you remember the common theme throughout all of the fruit of the Spirit, every single one of them, is based upon relationships because that is where we are marked as disciples of Christ is how we interact with other people. The lawyer in the scripture came to Jesus with a question. Jesus answered to him and he summarized the essence of real Christianity. He said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? This was a lawyer trying to trick Jesus but didn't realize that all the government was upon his shoulder. He was the master lawyer. He never lost a debate. There was no debate. You cannot debate someone who knows everything. You can debate someone who thinks they know everything. But Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus was saying that nothing matters more than relationships. Your relationship to God and your relationship to other people. You can be successful in every other area of life, but you can have miserable relationships with people. I know people that, uh, according to the world standards, they were successful. They had money. They had possessions. But the one thing they didn't have was friends because nobody wanted to be around them. They had no relationships because they didn't know how to be nice to people. In relationships, there is a word for love in action, and it's called kindness. Kindness is not something you feel. It's something you do. You don't wake up in the morning and just go, I just feel kind today. I just feel so kind. It's going to be a good day. You don't do that. Kindness is not something that you feel. Love is a feeling. And love on display is called kindness. It's an expression. It's something that is manifested. That's why it says, greater love hath no man than this. How do they know that, that Christ had the greatest measure of love? It was because he displayed his love. Love is not something you just feel. It's something that you have to display. When, you, when you're kind, you're taking action. You're, you're moving. You're showing love in practical ways. The KJV says gentleness. But the Greek word 
is actually Christos, which also means goodness in action, sweetness of disposition, gentleness in dealing with others, benevolence, kindness, affability, or the ability to act for the welfare of those taxing your patience. Notice that the word Christos is only one letter different from the word Christos, which is the Greek word for Christ. And so when the first church began 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire, they often confused Christos with Christos, and they thought Christians were just people who believed in kindness. And so they called Christianity the kind religion. I wonder today if people still call Christianity the kind religion. The Bible teaches us that God taking on a body of flesh to come to earth and die so our sins could be forgiven was the ultimate act of kindness. Titus 3 verse 3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If we want to define kindness, then we have to look at the ultimate example of kindness, which is Jesus. He is the kindness of God, and he told us to do others like he has done to us because God would never ask us to do something that he has not first done himself. In fact, in John 13, 15, he says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. So today, I want to talk about four ways that God shows his kindness to us. And once you understand how Jesus is kind to you, then you'll also know how to be kind to others that you're in relationships with. Because if we are to be Christ to people, we have to follow his example. So we ask ourselves, how is God kind to me? First, he understands my weakness. God knows every detail about your life. Good, bad. Every nuance, every flaw. We like to show people our good points, hide our bad points. That's just humanity. But understanding and kindness go together. And the more understanding you are of a person, the kinder you're going to be to them. This is why it's easy for you to be unkind 
to strangers. You don't know anything about them. You don't know anything about them. And so because you don't understand their situation, don't know what they're going through, have no emotional attachment, it's easy for you to be unkind. The more people who live in an area, the easier it is to be unkind because you don't know everybody. This is the difference between a metro area and a rural area. In a rural area, you know everybody. You know a lot of people, okay? Maybe not know everybody. You're double first cousins with half of them. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm not throwing stones, okay? I'm just saying. But you know people, so if you're unkind, you're going to hear it at the next family reunion. Everybody's going to know what you did, but if you're in a metro area, you don't know anybody. Do you realize that in a city, you can go all week and never see another Pentecostal? That's hard to fathom in Catahoula Parish. But even in a, just take Lake Charles, for example. That's not a metro area by no means. But you go all week and not see anybody from your church. You might see a Pentecostal in a store. But if you go to Houston, very chant, very rare that you're going to see any Pentecostal. Whenever we were evangelizing, we hardly ever saw any Pentecostals unless we saw them at church. And so when there's no emotional attachment, when there's no understanding, it's easy just to be unkind. That's why it's easy to pass people on the side of the road who are asking for money. Because you don't know nothing about them. And so you don't, why should I give them? Why should I help them? You don't know anything about them. But when you know people, when you understand their situation, it's easier to be kind about what they're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus understands every weakness of ours because he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin. So whenever we're in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness, and we will find help. God is not shocked by the wrong in your life. He's not shocked uh, and doesn't think less of you because of anything that you've gone through. He doesn't think less of you. He understood everything. When you go through a weakness or a problem, you want to be with somebody who understands what you're going through. And there's nobody that understands your situation better than Jesus Christ. Hear me, it's not a sin to be tempted. Christ was tempted. It's a sin when you give in to temptation. And Christ understands how powerful temptation can be. But what does this have to say about how we should be kind to other people. Listen to me. Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. And when you bear one another's burdens and you restore people, then it says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, everybody in this place has a ministry. This is what Paul calls it. It's been given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Restoring people. 
What do you think the church is? It's a place for people to heal. It's a place for people to find refuge. It's a place for people to come and not be judged. Not be judged. I remember one time I walked into church and I walked down that side aisle and I come over to the front and I started looking and I saw a girl on the second row. And and when I looked at her, her, her belly was growing. And I, I thought, okay, Lord. And when I kept looking at her, I saw that baby lying in a, one of those bassinets at the hospital where they put the name on the, you know, they write the little name on the placard thing. And it, the name was Mistake. And then I saw people, arrows coming out her head every which way. And I knew it was God. But you better know it's God when you say something about someone being expecting. So I went to the pastor, and all I said was, is that, is that lady expecting? And he said, well, she sure is. I said, that's all, that's all I need to know. I'm not crazy. And so when I called her out, I said, honey, I said, I see you expecting with a baby, and that baby was in a bassinet, and the name of that baby was Mistake. And I said, you're being shot at from every which way, beating yourself up. People saying things about you, but I said I saw a, a, a drop of blood hit that hit that placard and dissolve the word mistake because God can't make mistakes. And she broke down and she began to weep and cry. And come to find out, she had made a mistake. People, family told me later, and her family was attacking her from every, from every which way. Listen to me, if if people in the church are nothing but attacking and judgmental. What are we the church for? Everybody in this place has made mistakes. We don't need to be sitting here casting judgment. The first way to be kind is be gentle, not judgmental. Gentle. When you're dealing when when, when people are having a tough time dealing with issues and problems and weaknesses, you've got to be gentle with them. You know what I've learned about people who do wrong? They know they're doing wrong. I mean, that's revelatory right there, okay? They don't need to be beat over the head with a Bible. What do you, this is what the Bible says. When you don't know how to handle a situation, this is what the Bible says. Love never fails. Never. You'll never go wrong loving people. This is the approach God takes. The Bible says that mercy rejoices against judgment. There will be a day when he will be a judge, but right now mercy's trumping judgment. God knows what people are messing up. God does not send anybody to hell, okay? He gives mercy and mercy and mercy. He understands weaknesses and he wants to be understanding. And you should be gentle when dealing with people who are struggling. So he's gentle with us. Secondly, he tells me the truth. Jesus loves us just the way we are. 
but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. Now, you've heard me say it before. Anybody is welcome at Wallace Reed. It's a come-as-you-are church, but it's not a stay-as-you-are church. The true church of Jesus Christ is not a stay-as-you-are. There should be change. Now, we all change at different levels. We all change at different paces. But you should be making some kind of effort to be more like Christ than you were yesterday. Where we mess up, I've seen people come in the church, get the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, fall in love with Jesus, and instantly line up with what the book says. I mean, it was just like, that's it. But I've seen others, and it took a, it was a process. As the Lord began to deal with them and the word was taught to them, it took time. And people would start comparing them. And people would start talking. And I've seen people leave the church, not this church, I'm talking about in my life, over people talking about them because they didn't line up like they were supposed to. Now, what good is that? In that person's life, the Bible says it is better to have never known than to have known and walked away from it. You do damage. You do damage. I, I've told you this, this story before. I had, a, I had a situation where I was in a Bible study with a, with a young man, and he was raised in another denomination, and, and I, I told him he had a beard. And I said, don't you worry about that beard, okay? I could care less about that beard. I want you to fall in love with Jesus and, and that book. That's all that matters. And he was faithful to Bible study. He never missed. Got the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, one day, he stopped showing up to Bible study. And I couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And backslid. And word got back to me that some precious saint confronted him over his beard. The one thing that I told him, don't you worry about. And I was livid. I was, it was no righteous indignation. I was mad because it cost that young man his soul over something that didn't matter in regards to eternity. You should let the pastor deal with stuff like that. You should let the word work with people. Am I going to handle it all right? No, but the book never lies. And I can ask God to give me wisdom to skillfully preach the word and let the Holy Ghost work with the word and let people grow as God intends for them to grow. It's What happens is when we start making ourselves the police, that's when trouble starts brewing. John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. There's an old saying, been around for eons, for ages, called, Truth hurts. You ever heard? When someone's just brutally honest with you, truth hurts. Well, 
your real friends that really love you will tell you the truth because they love you. They love you enough to be honest with you. And Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. This book. We don't like to hear the truth about ourselves. In fact, Jamie Buckingham once wrote a book called The Truth Will Set You Free, But First It Will Make You Miserable. There's a lot of truth in that. We would prefer to hear just the good stuff about ourselves. But because Jesus is kind, he levels with us and tells us the truth about how we think and how we act and where we go and all of these things that, that affect us. In fact, the beauty of Hebrews chapter 11 is when you look at all of the ones that are in the hall of faith, the Bible does not ignore their failures. The Bible does, does not only give you the good parts about their life. But the Bible shows you the reality of who they were, their mess-ups, their flaws, their failures, but it shows you restoration. It shows you a David. It shows you a Moses who got mad and struck the rock. It shows you a Peter who drew a sword and cut off it. It shows you their humanity. But it also shows you that God doesn't give up on people just because they're not perfect. Progress and growth come as a result of feedback. And since none of us are perfect, we all need to be corrected. And we need somebody who will tell us the truth. The truth. Jesus tells us the truth in kindness, and he wants you to tell other people the truth in kindness. You know, there's a way that you can be truthful and kind and tactful. You don't have to knock their legs out from underneath them all the time. I've got a good dose of bluntness, and I try to put as much sugar on things as I can, but sometimes the only way to say it is to say it. But I love people enough to just say it. Jesus Jesus tells us the truth in kindness. And if we're going to be like him, we need to be kind and caring enough about people to tell them the truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, and living truly. One survey in California discovered that the number one thing people want in a friend is honesty. Almost all friendship surveys put honesty in the top five. And the Bible agrees because Proverbs 24, 26, one version says, giving an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. A real friend tells you when you're going to make a mistake. A real friend tells you when you got something in your teeth. One of the reasons God puts a pastor in your life is to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And as much as I love people, I'd rather tell you the truth 
It's not easy all the time. But I pray that God gives me wisdom. And there's times I don't have all the answers. I don't. I'm not even going to act like I do. But I can listen, and I can go to God in prayer. And, I, and there's times I go to prayer, and it's, it's as plain as day the Lord will speak to me about something. And I'm sitting here going, God, why can't you do this every time? This is so much easier. But that's why I'm here, is to help you navigate this journey. He forgives our sins. God is gracious and forgiving toward us because of his kindness. You know, when life happens, things go wrong. It's not always God mad at you because you did something wrong. Anybody just run out of gas before? God wasn't mad at you because you ran out, but didn't make you run out of gas. Things happen. Life happens. I was thinking last week, my old youth pastor, he used to live going on the road, going to church, and he was push mowing his grass. And He'd go a few feet, and it would bog down and die. Crank it back up, go a few feet, bog down and die. And he was getting mad. And after a few times of playing that little song and dance, he grabbed that handle with both hands and started swinging. And swung that thing against a tree as hard as he could and just walked away from it, was mad. And the next day was church outreach. And one precious lady in the church came and said, Brother Darren, was you having a bad day yesterday? And he went, please tell me you didn't see me throw my lawnmower against the tree. She goes, I was driving by right when you were slinging that thing against the tree. We've all had those days. I mean, I, if, you want, if you want to get me, it's going to happen with me, okay? This is Jonah. It will happen with me. And I've had my fair share of just getting so mad I start shaking on a lawnmower that wouldn't work right. Painting, weed eating. I used to say there's two levels of torment in hell. One of them is you got to paint for eternity. Or weedy for eternity. I mean, that just be, couldn't think of anything nearly worse than that. I'm so far off where I'm at right now. I don't even know where to go. Chase so many rabbits. Not everything is God punishing or mad. God understands humanity. Some people think that God's out to get them. Something goes wrong in our life. You go, God, why me? Anybody ever thought that? Why me? Why is my truck broke down? You know I ain't got no money, God. I've been there. I remember praying. So broke, I had enough money just to put fuel in my truck to get to a revival. Hadn't had a problem out of my truck hauling, hauling, going to Texas City, Texas, and praying that they would pay me on a Sunday instead of a Wednesday because I needed some groceries. And it was, this was Friday. And leaving on I-10 
And I looked out of my side mirror, and smoke, black smoke was coming out of my pipe. And I was like, well, that's weird. That's never happened before. I don't know anything about trucks. I just kept on hammered down, just driving. 80 miles an hour, 75, whatever. It was five above the speed limit was what I was going. And worried because that black smoke was getting my white trailer dirty. And that white smoke turned to, I mean, that black smoke turned to white smoke whenever I, whenever I hit Beaumont. And I was like, well, smoke is smoke. Keep on going. And I got almost to winning, and that thing started huckabucking and left me on the side of the road. And I'm sitting here going, God, you missed my prayer. Things are getting worse instead of getting better, God. Anybody ever been there? What's happening, God? It's easy to get a woe is me mentality when things start going wrong. In fact, that guy, that mechanic, they, they told me, they told me it'd be fifteen thousand dollars, Brother Spanky, to put an engine in that truck. And I just la- I started laughing on the phone. I said, "Ma'am, I didn't pay fifteen thousand dollars for the truck, much less an engine." I mean, I prayed and I wept and I belly ached and complained to God about how horrible the whole situation was. And I remember I could take you to the spot, if they haven't rearranged, where I was sitting up against the wall, and I got so mad. I said, God, I'm done talking. It's time for you to talk. And I turned on some music to calm the evil spirits right there, put it on the floor next to me. And I said, God is my witness. Lord knows whether I was right, wrong, it don't matter. I said, God, I'm not leaving until you say something. I was mad, and I just sat there, and it's hard for me to sit still. And I sat there and just listened to that music, and a little while passed, and it was as if I'm telling you that God put a megaphone in my ear, and he said, Tyler, if you will pray as hard for revival as you just prayed for your truck, I'll take care of your truck, and you'll have revival. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll never say another word about the truck other than thank you, Jesus, for taking care of my truck. I had got, it's easy to get so messed up when life is horrible. We want to use those words. But do you realize God's not out to get you? He's not trying to trip you up just when things are starting to get better. One pastor had a lady coming to him every single week saying, Pastor, God convicted me of this sin. Every week. It was kind of like a sin of the week. God would convict her of something. Finally, the pastor says, Pastor, does God ever say anything nice to you? It's easy. It's easy to get a, a negative slant towards God. One of the things the Bible teaches is that God does not carry a grudge. We carry grudges. God does not carry a grudge. God doesn't hold your shame. He he forgives your sin. Isaiah 54 and 8 says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. 
What does God's forgiveness have to do with the way I'm supposed to treat other people? Well, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another. Watch this. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The example is Christ. And so we're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to be tender-hearted toward people. If you have a tough time being forgiving, it's probably because you don't feel forgiven. Graced people are gracious people. People who have received God's mercy are able to be merciful to others. When you understand how much God forgave you for, that it's going to trickle down and you're going to forgive other people. Then he affirms my worth. Deep inside every individual, there is a feeling, there is a desire to feel worthwhile. We all want to feel significant. We all want to feel that we, that we matter. We all want to feel like if we die, somebody would miss us. And so you spend much of your life being motivated to do things that you'll hope will answer the question, does my life matter? This is why people volunteer. This is why people do all of these things is because they want to make a difference and feel like they're valuable. In a magazine interview, Madonna of you, those of you who don't know Madonna, just Google her. She said, I have an iron wheel. All of my wheel has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. She said, I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and I'm uninteresting. I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life, she said, is from this horrible fear of being inadequate and mediocre, and it's always pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, her words, she said, I still have to prove that I am somebody. She said, my struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Madonna set herself up for the ultimate fr frustration because every star's popularity will eventually fade. But she's not the only one that lives like that. Everyday people are living with a feeling of inadequacy, trying to prove something, trying to show that, that I am somebody. But the truth is that nothing else matters until there has been an established relationship with Jesus Christ, and you begin to discover how much you matter to him. You base your self-worth off of him, not off of anything else. Psalm 139, 16 and 17 says, You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book 
how precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. Isaiah 49, 16 says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Psychologists say that your self-worth is based on what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. This is why it's imperative that Christ is the most important person in our life. Because if you base your self-worth upon him, then it will never change because he's a constant. He's a constant. But if you base it off of people, then people will change. Anybody figure out that people are finicky people? They're finicky, if that's even a word, okay? They're, they'll change just like the wind. They'll love you one day and hate you another day. And if you base your self-worth off of something that's so volatile, then you're going to live your life on a roller coaster. But if you base your self-worth off of Christ, that never changes then it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what life brings. Then that rock is going to be the one thing that is always constant in your life. When Jesus Christ becomes the most important person in your life, your self-worth will begin to soar. But as a result, you'll start affirming other You've heard me say it before. Everybody has an invisible sign across their forehead that says, encourage me. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be dis uh, encouraged. You know, there's plenty of negative people in the world. There's plenty of discouragers in the world. But why can't we take it upon ourselves to make people feel better about themselves? You'll never go wrong encouraging somebody, loving on somebody, building somebody up. You'll never go wrong. If you don't know how to start a conversation, just say, it looks like you've been losing weight. You didn't say they are losing weight. You can always find a way, always find a way to make somebody, I mean, if they have been losing weight, tell them that you look like you've been losing weight. But you can always find a way to be kind. Romans 15, 7 says, So accept each other. Just as Christ accepted you, then God will be glorified. If you have trouble affirming the worth of others, if you have trouble forgiving others, if you have trouble being kind to others, then I would start by examining your relationship with God. Because it's not a problem with other people. Something's not lined up in your relationship with God. Stand with me at this time. It's sad as our musicians come. I have actually heard people say, I'll never go to that church, whatever church it was, because, not because of the pastor, not because of what they preach, but because of one person that was unkind to them. And so in their mind, the whole church, everybody is like that person. 
that's unkind. What would happen if we became known once again as that kind church? Just love everybody. Listen, love is not approval. Love is love. Period. You can love people without approving of what they're doing. It's all throughout the Gospels. Christ loved people without compromising truth. He was kind. The only time you really see God getting mad is when he made that whip and went in his temple and started cleaning house. But that was because they had turned it into something he never intended for it to be. And when Christ was being done wrong, when he was being betrayed, Peter grabbed that sword, the one who said, I'll never betray you. Because our first reaction when betrayal happens is we want to grab a sword. Because we want somebody else to hurt like we're fixing to hurt. That's why I say hurt people hurt people. And so we're so quick to start slicing. But Jesus, remember, kindness is display. It's love in action. Jesus, by picking up an ear and putting it back on, you know what he did? He restored the damage. Because he was showing Peter, Peter, Restoration is more important right now. Restoration is greater than retaliation. We want retaliation. But God's in the restoring business. And we all have areas in our life that we have been restored. Weaknesses that we have been helped in. I think it it's only fitting if we're going to be like Christ to help other people, to love other people, to restore other people. We don't need to be known as a, and we're not known as this, I'm just saying, as a church that's going to be judgmental or a church that's going to kill their wounded. We need to be a church that just loves everybody. And let's the Holy Ghost work in people's lives. Let's conviction, real conviction, deal with people as the word of the Lord is preached. The kindness of God is just getting started. Because this is what Ephesians says in 2 and 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. I wonder tonight as we come to this altar as a church body, why don't we come and ask the Lord to help us be loving and gentle and kind. We all know people. As you make your way to this altar, we all know people.